so last week, Gail and I are standing on a corner right on Las Olas Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale. We had uh, had a nice lunch, and, and I had done a little shopping, and we did not want to walk the approximately two miles or so to the ocean front. We just wanted to walk on the beach for a little bit. So we said, let's take a cab all the way down to the ocean front. Then we'll walk up to the ocean front. It'll be kind of a nice walk in the sun. So we saw a cab go by. We took down the number from the side of the cab, and I made the phone call. Got put on hold for just a few seconds. A voice came on the line. I thought, this is it. This is what you do when you call a cab company. You tell them where you are. And so I said, hi. We need a cab. I'm on the corner of, and the voice said, we don't pick people up on corners. We don't pick people up on corners. And I thought, this is unusual. I'm calling a cab company. I'm a human being who wants to move my body from here to there. This is what you're in business for. You move human being bodies from here to there, and, and, and this is, should be an easy thing. And I said, well, we're on, this, we're on this corner. I'm not really, we don't pick people up on corners. Um, it was, it was just one of those moments you sort of hold on and you don't know what to do next. I turned around, I saw a number on a building. I said, uh, we're at 1100 Las Olas Boulevard. And I looked at the street sign and 11th Street. The voice said, east or west? I said, east or west? I don't know. You're making me think too hard. I want to pay you to move my body from here to the ocean front. I am making a cash offer. I just need to be moved from here to there. And that's what you are supposedly in business to do. Times like that are very confusing. How do people even stay in business if that's their whole view of things? And what we have there is not just a failure to communicate. What we have there is a definite and definitive clash of umwelts. Clash of umwelts. I was looking at it one way and the person at the cab company was looking at it quite in another different way. Today you're going to learn the answer to three questions, whether you like it or not. Okay? Here are the three questions. Number one, what's an umwelt? Number two, what's God's umwelt? Number three, what's the ultimate umwelt issue anyway? Let me explain how I got into this umwelt stuff in the first place. So I'm on vacation, and when I'm on vacation, I like to read books that I wouldn't normally read in the course of my everyday work-a-day world and responsibilities as a pastor, as a minister. So on my vacation, I was reading this book. This is a great book. Inside of a Dog, What Dogs See, Smell, and Know. And it's a fascinating book, and if you like dogs, you will love to read this book. And inside of the book, it said this. A clash of umwelts occurs when dog meets human. A clash of umwelts occurs when dog meets human. And then I read this. By imagining the umwelt of dogs, we'll be able to deconstruct other anthropomorphisms. Now, anthropomorphism is a fancy word that says we project on dogs what we think they feel and what we think they want and need and how they think when really they probably don't think that way at all. Like we'll be leaving the house and the dog will be looking at us, kind of funny, kind of weird, and we'll say, oh, the dog is going to miss me. I'm leaving the house. And the dog is thinking, as soon as you go, I'm tearing this place up. That's what I'm doing. So you go ahead and go. 
See, a scientist at the beginning of the 20th century used the term umwelt to get at the idea of an animal having a self-world. Of course, it's a German world. It's about an animal having a self-world and to promote the fact that the scientific study of animals must begin with what an animal sees, what an animal understands, and what an animal feels rather than what we project on them from our perspective. Simply put, your umwelt is the way you see and interact with life. That's your umwelt. It's the way you see life, and it's the way you interact with life. And we're surrounded by umwelts. Everywhere you go, there's an umwelt. Here an umwelt, there an umwelt, everywhere an umwelt. Here's one of my favorite umwelts. Oprah! I make no apologies that I read Oprah. Uh, you know, I need to know what is going on inside of her mind. I need to know what umwelt she's putting out this particular month. And in March, she's putting out how to declutter your life. So if you have a messy person in your life, you buy them the March edition of Oprah, you give it to them, it does not change them, but it'll make you feel a little bit better just for a few seconds. So there are umwelts everywhere you go. Wolf Blitzer has an umwelt. The TV show Lost has an umwelt. We just can't figure out what it is yet. But we don't have many weeks to go. It's going gonna, it's gonna to end, and we're going to figure out what that is. So what's your umwelt is an important question. It's an important question to ask when you come to Jesus. Because the last thing you want to do, the last thing you want to do is to project your umwelt on God, your perspective of life, the way you see and interact with life. You don't want to put that on him. It's a much better thing to study and then live his perspective, his umwelt. The way he sees and interacts with life is always a better way to go. So let me take you back in time. Let me take you back to a, a time and a time's time, about 2,000 years ago. It's, it's just short of the middle of the first century. Jesus is, is rocking the political systems of the day. Jesus is rocking the religious, the theological systems of the day. He's rocking relationships and, and friendships. He's bringing a whole new perspective to bear against life. It's about 33 AD. It's what we now refer to often as Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And everything, everything is about to change. John chapter 6. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The whole way you see things, Jesus, is so different. The whole way you are interacting with life is so far removed from the way we usually understand life. We don't see things this way. We don't understand things this way. This is a hard teaching. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Does the way I see things bother you? Does it offend? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Which 
Think about that for a second. To where he was before, it means he was somewhere before. It means then he descended, and now he's going to ascend. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Now, that's a whole different perspective. How do you process that perspective, that view of life? Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. In, in other words, if you are going to come to Christ, if you are going to, to be drawn to him, it's the Holy Spirit of God that draws you to him. You can't just make an intellectual ascent of Jesus. You just can't kind of sort it out logically and then go, okay, I think in a fashion of linear processing of information, I will get to Jesus. It's something God has to do in you. It's something the Holy Spirit has to do inside of you, in your heart, in your mind. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. This is right after everybody had a wonderful experience of getting everything they wanted, but now suddenly it seems that the terms have shifted. The terms of the, the deal are shifting. You mean we don't just get whatever we want whenever we want it? I mean, this isn't just about having a full belly and a, a happy day and a good time camping on the countryside? I mean, there, there's a demand that comes with following you, Jesus? I think I'll pack this in right now. I think I can get my own lunch. If it's going to cost me something, I don't think I want to go that far. And then Jesus looks at his disciples, the 12. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Now that you've heard my umlaut, now that you've heard my perspective, how I see life and how I interact with life, are you going to bail? Are you out of here? John chapter 7. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does, not, does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? And you see the tension that has already built up. You are crazy, Jesus. You say things that don't make sense. We can't figure out what you're talking about, where you're going, why we should even bother following you. And, and you're deranged to the point that you, you are imagining that we want to, to kill you. You are nuts, Jesus. Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. 
that because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Again, Jesus is saying, look, here's the way I see things. You look at life and you interact with life sometimes so superficially. That's your umwelt, superficiality. I see a much deeper thing at work. The way I see things is I want to bring hope and I want to bring healing and I want to bring restoration to people. And that's what God wants to bring to you. But they didn't understand. John chapter 7, picking it up at verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, if anybody realizes that on the inside you are dry and empty and your perspective really doesn't work very well anymore, if you feel like you're just spinning around and around, and you don't know really where you're going. You're, you're doing things, and you're doing some things that are good, but at the end of the day, you wonder, is there anything more? Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. In other words, you will find fulfillment, that thing that's so missing on the inside, that empty spot on the inside of your life that you know is there. It stares at you every night. That will go away. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Again, do you see the tension that Jesus sets up? You are crazy. We don't, we're, th we're going home now. We can't do this. What you're talking about doesn't make any sense. Maybe you're the one we've been waiting for our whole lives. Still others ask, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Because everybody knew what was written in Micah 5 too. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. They didn't have the Christmas cards that we have today. They didn't have the little Bethlehem outline. They didn't see the little baby in the manger. They were ch having trouble putting all these things together. And so verse 43 sums it up. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Jesus divides. Jesus draws a line. And some people end up on one side, and some people end up on the other. Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him. Let's take him down right now. Let's get rid of him. Let's put an end to this spiritual debauchery. But no one laid a hand on him. John 5, 
You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. He knew that they were studying scripture. He knew that they were looking at, at the prophets and they were looking at the writings of Moses and trying to figure out, like, when is the Messiah coming and who is the Messiah supposed to be? You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. If a king rolls into town, it's a big deal. It's a big time. Let's have a celebration. The king has shown up. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another? yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. And again, Jesus draws this line. And it's like, your umwelt or my umwelt? Your perspective or mine? Do you just want to live your whole life figuring out how you get honor? Do you want to live your whole life seeing how you can break through to a position of success and, and being respected in the community and with the people who, who are surrounding you saying you are great? Or do you want to live your life toward a different aim and a different goal? Do you want the perspective of God looking down and saying, oh my gosh, look at him. Look at what he's doing for me in the world today. Look at her. Look at her attitude and how she got knocked down, but she got back up. She turned the other cheek. She forgave and she moved powerfully forward on faith. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. I'm always thankful for Thomas because Thomas said what others were afraid to say. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus, we can't figure this out. What are you really talking about? Jesus answered, here it is, Thomas. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. It doesn't work apart from me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. If you really knew me, you would know God. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is a whole different way of thinking. This is a whole different way of processing life. It points in a different direction than the direction most of us are programmed to go in by life. Life's programming doesn't take us there. Jesus takes us there. It's a whole different way of seeing and interacting with life. Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. See, God came into the world. His whole perspective was you and me. His whole perspective 
was giving himself out of love for God so loved the world so that he could one day come back and take us to a place that we can't see and we can't know. We only know it's there because he said it's there. We only know it's there because he announces there's a place and I'm preparing it and I'm going to come back and I'm going to grab you and I'm going to take you there. You can never get there. There's no way for you to find it. I have to take you there. And so it's God's umwelt to look at us with compassion and with great love and to say, let me bring you home. Let me bring you to paradise. Let me bring you to the place that was prepared for you before time ever even began. You see, an umwelt is a way that you look at life and interact with life. God's umwelt is looking at you, saying, let me bring you back to me. Let me do whatever it takes to make that happen. Jesus divides us in three ways. Let me tell you what those ways are. The first way Jesus divides us is by asking us to follow him, not our own wisdom. Asking us to follow him, not our own wisdom. In the book Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller, Keller references another book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. It was written by a man named Andrew Delbanco. In his book, The Real American Dream, Andrew Delbanco wrote, I will use the word culture to mean the stories and symbols by which we try to hold back the melancholy suspicion that we live in a world without meaning. So culture tries to give us a sense of this is why you're here. This is why you have a life. This is what you're supposed to do with the life that you have. At the heart of every culture is its main hope, what it tells its members that life is all about. Delbanco traces three phases of American civilization by looking at the fundamental hope of each era, which he names God, nation, and self. In the first era, hope was chiefly expressed through a Christian story that gave meaning to suffering and pleasure alike and promised deliverance from death. That was the Jesus story. That was the personal God story. In the second phase of American civilization, the Enlightenment removed a personal God and substituted the, the idea of a deified nation. Somehow the nation takes on the character of God and the nation becomes the vehicle by which the system of government and the way of life was the hope for the whole world. And, and that's a subtle shift, but it's a very dangerous shift because when you co-opt the very person of God and the personal loving nature of God and you say, well, now we exist in the world to show uh, how this really works. We're going to save the world. The world can hope in our way of governing. The world can hope in our way of seeing life. You have very subtly become idolatrous. You have taken your focus off of the God who wants to know you and the God you need to know, and you have put that focus on the corporate nature of your system of life. Very subtle, but it's very dangerous. And then 
He says, today the need for meaning has detached itself from anything more important than the individual self and its freedom to be what it chooses. And so that's, that's where we are. That's where our, our society has come. The most important value is the self and the self's freedom to choose whatever it wants to choose. And so we start out with a personal God, which is the right perspective, the right umwelt, relationship. We move to the nation, which is the God made in our image perspective, which doesn't work. We can't, we're not God as a nation. And then you end up with the free self, which is what I call the lost perspective or the lost umwelt. Jesus divides us by asking us to follow him, not our own wisdom. Our own wisdom leads to self-freedom. Following him leads to depth of intimacy with God. The second point regarding how Jesus divides us is Jesus divides us by demanding that we accept him as he says he is, as God. Accept him as God. On the front page of today's New York Times, an article that I just was able to scan this morning, um, it says two people, two very high-ranking people in the Church of Scientology have left the Church of Scientology, finding out that the whole point of Scientology was bankrupting their hearts and minds and, and their spirits. Their, there was nothing there for them. There was nothing to really build their life on after all, after they gave themselves to it. There's nothing there because God's not in it. There's nothing there because Jesus isn't in it. On the front page of the New York Times, a story today about the meaning of life and the hope of life and the, the very purpose of life. Jesus divides us by demanding that we accept him as God. In a book that you should never read, uh, When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chops by George Carlin. Don't read the book. Don't buy the book. Don't even think about it. I, I dismiss any responsibility towards you or with you or for you. If you get to heaven and that book is written in the column of your life, I'm going to deny I ever said it on this particular Sunday. But in that book, George Carlin, who's, who's got a brilliant mind and, and whose, whose comedic observations have entertained many over, over many years, he said this, when it comes to God's existence, I'm not an atheist and I'm not an agnostic. I'm an acrostic. The whole thing puzzles me. And I just imagine what he must have said when he died and suddenly he looked into the very face of God and realized it wasn't a puzzle anymore. You see, you have to take Jesus at his word as who he said he was. He divides us by demanding we accept him as God. And then finally, Jesus divides us by telling us the community is the lowest common denominator of, of society, not the freedom of the individual. Community, what we do together with him, for him, not that in and of ourselves we become something special or great because we're not, but with him and through him and with him at work through us, that's the common denominator of all things. 
back in October of 2008, I gave you a perspective, an umwalt, about what it means to adjust to God's perspective. I said there's a great difference between being an admirer and a follower. An admirer is impressed, impressed with God and the things of God. A follower is devoted. A follower is just devoted, which brings us to an admirer applauds. They're impressed and they applaud. A follower is devoted and surrenders. The admirer is in as long as it feels good, as long as something's in it for me. The follower is in for the long haul of ups and downs, of which there will be many. An admirer respects the faith. It's, it's very, very powerful, the faith that you have and the faith that you present. A follower lives the faith with great humility. An admirer wants a future. A follower builds huge difference between wanting a future and building a future. But Jesus divides us by telling us the community is the lowest common denominator of followers, not of individuals, whether it's individuals who believe they're free or whether it's Christians who believe they have a right to make any decision they want to make. It doesn't work that way because Jesus said it doesn't work that way. So how do you get back to the right umwelt? How do you make an umwelt right turn? How do you deal with yourself if you've lost your way, if you've lost your perspective and the way you need to interact with life? And the only answer that matters to any of those questions has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with relationship. It's so, it's so foundational. It is faith. It is life. It is Christianity. You need to have a relationship with the one who came into the world to have a relationship with you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So what is the ultimate umwelt issue? What is finally the bottom line for seeing things the way God sees them and interacting with life the way God wants you to interact with life. I think this is it. I think this gets very close to being the bullseye. God came to us with skin on. God came to us with skin on. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We are to bring God to the world with skin on. That's the ultimate umwelt issue. Are you willing to bring Jesus to the world with skin on? Your face, your hand, your feet. Once you have, have understood that you can't do anything without him. And once you have, have been drawn to him by the Holy Spirit, and once you have accepted him into your life, then he says, now would you go from me? I came into the world so you could see me. I send you into the world so others can see me too. Her name is Margaret. 
Margaret runs a, a little souvenir shop. And, and I happened to talk to her on my vacation. And we chatted just for a minute, not very long. And I could see that, that with tourism being down because of the recession, Margaret's business was, was pretty well shot. And she had a lot of stuff in her little souvenir shop and not a lot of takers for souvenirs. And she said, if I needed anything, would I come to her shop? And I said, well, I would try to come back later that day. But as things go, I got busy, and one thing led to the next, and we didn't get back there. And the next day, we were going to fly home. And so just before we are ready to go to the airport, it hit me, Margaret. I had told Margaret that, uh, that I'd stop by and buy something. So I took a little walk down the street. And the day before, when I said, what's your name? She said, Margaret. She said, what's your name? And I said, Michael. And she said, will you come back, Michael, and see me? And I said, well, I'll come back and see you. So I walk into her shop, and I said, Margaret. She said, hey. I said, what's my name? She said, John. I said, no, it's Michael. She said, oh, you were supposed to be here yesterday. I said, I know. I got busy. She was, I was looking for you yesterday. I said, no, you were supposed to come yesterday. You I said, I know I got busy, but I'm here right now. And I looked around at her shop, and I said, Margaret, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't need any souvenirs. I don't need any souvenirs, but I am going to buy something. And Margaret got up, and she had a smile on her face. And, and I looked down, and I, I didn't know what to get, you know, all kinds of crazy things hanging off the walls. And I saw a deck of cards, and I picked up the deck of cards. I said, I will buy this deck of cards. And she said, good, that's $5. I said, okay. Take the cards. Here's five dollars for the cards, and here's five dollars, Margaret, for you. And she looked at me like, "Who is this man named John? <laughs> Who is he? And why did he come back? And why did he do this?" And in that moment, I knew I was just Jesus with some skin on trying to do something to touch a person's life in a moment as part of a chain of God being at work in people's lives, letting them know through just little ways that somebody's thinking about them and somebody's remembering them. And she got this big smile on her face as I handed her the money, and she opened her arms so we could hug and kiss there in the middle of the market. And I was glad that nobody was there taking pictures so no, no big scandal would develop there. And And... I thought, now, how much did that hug cost? And the easy answer would be, well, it cost $5, didn't it? And then you missed the whole point. The hug cost everything. It cost everything. Because I wouldn't even be there doing that unless a long time ago a man died on a cross for me. I wouldn't even be there unless somebody paid the price that was beyond belief terms of cost, what price was paid for me so that I could be there on that day with Margaret? And until you understand that your umwalt is your life, until you understand that, that you must really engage God's perspective and God's way of interacting with life and make that your life and the way you interact with life won't even understand 
God, you won't understand Jesus. You will not understand life. But the good news, the good news is that 33 AD marks a time and a place where God came into the world to find you. And that if you will give your heart to him today, if you will present your life to him today, drawn to him by the Holy Spirit, if you will engage his way of seeing and his way of living, then your umma and your life will change the world. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to hear these words. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Dear Father, I pray that right now there would be a man who would come to drink. I pray right now there would be a woman who would come to drink. I pray that there would be someone like I was a long time ago who would realize that, that their life is just spinning around and around. They're doing stuff. Things are happening. Day rolls into day, but there's really not much on the inside, not much to write home about. Father, take an empty place right now in someone's life and fill it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Draw someone into everlasting relationship with you. We give you this time. We give you this moment. Change us. Change the world through us. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior.